You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Today's conversation is with Jamie Dilberg, co-founder of the Aloha Exchange. Aloha Exchange is a retailer on the island of Kauai with two locations, soon to have a third. It is unique among Hawaii surf retail in that it caters to the local community rather than to tourists. And I'll let Jamie explain why that is and how that's allowed them more stability, more latitude to work with brands that they actually want to work with. Um, We did a five-part series a few months back on California surf shops and received a lot of feedback and suggestion on other retailers who we should interview. That's really actually reflective of a lot of the direction of this podcast since its inception and that detail about kind of community engagement and feedback dovetails really nicely with the importance of surf retail. Jamie will explain that many of the cultural surf experiences that he had in his youth, the ones that didn't take place in the water, the ones that took place on land, took place in retail stores. Encountering famous shapers or skateboarders even, learning about where to surf and when, going and seeing surf film premieres. The surf retailer, whether they intend to or not, kind of doubles as a social club. And it takes a very unique personality type to accommodate and entertain that many loiterers while putting in all of the long hours required in retail. And I think that Jamie personifies this personality type almost better than anyone I've ever met. His journey to Aloha Exchange is very unique, but each job that he had along the way from pro surfer to wax brand entrepreneur to outside sales rep, to surf school instructor. It has really informed his current role and position perfectly to navigate the very precarious landscape of running a retail business in 2020. So we'll get to all of that, but given that this conversation was recorded on Kauai, a place where it is frowned upon to expose some of its best gems, I started our conversation asking Jamie about how that legacy of localism fits into our modern litigious world of safe spaces. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Jamie Dilberg of Aloha Exchange. Something that's really weird about Kauai, there's these like strange levels of um, localism that haven't left, even though, you know, a 13 year old girl is being filmed at like a secret spot probably this morning. And that used to never be allowed. Girls weren't allowed basically before. And now that they're somehow their dad's able to sit there and film blows my mind because I mean, we were always hiding from those guys at those spots and whatever, you know, like it wasn't just a free for all. And, um, but at the same time, the, the legacy of localism is still there with like, even how we like 
like not a lot of guys are spouting about how rad the waves are somewhere else or whatever you know what i mean there's like little and we end up getting in trouble for like saying so-and-so you know was ripping it whatever it was yesterday and and they're like what don't expose like shut up you know so So why is the filming allowed then in that other example why is that okay is it because they're not going to use that footage on the internet maybe they're just using it to review or um generally and this is like one of those really weird touchy subjects because um if you're in the in, you basically get to do whatever you want. Right. And if you're in the out, you don't get to do anything. Yet it might be the the person on the out might be doing that for personal use or whatever. And the person on the in is going to make a livelihood off of it and expose all of it. You know, there, there's been a couple, you know, heavy Hawaiian surfer names that have been able to parlay f- good careers off of... Um, footage but i mean there was some footage back in the 70s um like in the movie bali high or early 80s or whatever that was you know reversing the negatives Mm -hmm. and and all that kind of stuff but um there was guys that used to film a lot it's a amazing plus that Kauai is not open for commerce the way that Oahu is, but it's really interesting who gets to do the commerce that's here or not. Yeah. Because it, it no matter how it goes, it's not in the best interest of the island. Right. You know, and um, but then when you don't know the rules or whatever, it's a really precarious, strange thing because it's not. Um, there are no rules. Whoever's whoever's biggest, toughest, whatever gets to yeah. like make the rules. But nowadays biggest toughest whatever doesn't count right because whoever's holding an iphone and gets footage of you being biggest toughest means that you have to go to court and deal with this repercussions of all that and if you also have a business and a family and a home and all these things like all those things are on the line all the time so it's changed the landscape of hawaii and the localism that kind of kept some of those things you know at, at bay yeah but then on the flip side it's like, wait a second, how's that guy filming his daughter out here right now at a spot that like nobody's supposed to film? Right. And um, I don't know how it works. I don't know. It, it's funny. It's really, what I kind of like about surfing is that it really is um, a throwback to like a hunter-gatherer society mm. where there's finite resource and you want to protect the resource. And those of us who are in this little community of hunters and gatherers understand it almost implicitly where you're right you're you're as you're defining the rules to me you're also saying i don't know the rules except we all kind of do yeah you know and yeah. we all honor the rules and we see these exact things play out on a macro scale in i don't know hollywood or politics or big business um but then the gray area in those rules become I don't know, fodder for everybody to discuss and everybody weighs in on an opinion. It's nice that in this little surf world, it's small enough to where we all kind of just know instinctively. Mm. I can show up on this island and I know where I'm allowed to surf and where I'm not just by sniffing it out. I pull up in my car and I sniff it out and I go, yeah, I'll go surf down the beach instead, you know? Yeah, because yeah. I'm, I... Yeah, and it's an interesting thing though. I, I don't think the the younger generation gets that. And, and really? I mean, I, well... 
when I was, you know, 13, I started traveling a lot. And in those travels, I was pretty ignorant or arrogant or whatever it was that of just that age of not knowing what the rules necessarily were, but how I was raised. Um, I never broke those rules in the water, but if I showed up and the waves were good, it was like, we can surf here, right? Like there's waves. It's not a, a thing of, um, yeah, I'm going to go paddle, you know, and I was never overly aggressive or whatever in, in that situation, but traveling to surf contests and everything else, like you got a bunch of egos going around and trying to surf every good wave that's around. And I'm sure the local people, wherever you go, aren't that stoked on it. But the thing about Hawaii and I think about some 45, so my generation was raised on the movie North shore Mm. and it is crazy how kitschy and accurate right that whole thing was because that's what you know we lived i remember um when i was 14 years old going and staying at uh uncle brian surratt's house um to surf and i don't remember if uh, there was a contest that i was doing it was probably one of the the sunsets it was before the qualifying series it was just like one of the sunset contests and i remember staying there and realizing the gravity of like if i bring sand in the house or if i don't wash my dish or whatever because i've heard all the stories and um we were all just scared to death you know what i mean and and we responded that way and we were like little worker bees like running around and he dealt with the um the gotcha team and um there was some pretty rowdy gnarly kids that would come over and they would just straighten up like because it was that or you're gone right and what's really strange about now and um i used to coach and 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 stuff back you know years past and a bunch of these kids there like their parents wouldn't deal with them that way. Team managers heck like, don't deal with them that way. Like nobody can. Nobody you can't just like take a kid in the the alley in the back and tune him up. Right. You know, it, that's just not a thing. And because of that, we're like getting removed from it. So like my uh second oldest son who's nineteen, surfs a bunch and whatever. I don't know if he understands the rules that we were just talking about on that level. Interesting. Because his friends don't. Right. And they're in a, a world of like, you just film stuff. Like everything's filmable all the time. Like if you're not filming, it didn't happen. And, and not that, I mean, that's, he's not out filming surf or doing any of those kind of things, but like he would, he would look at that situation and go, what's wrong with that? Right. And it's like, well, you might be exposing a spot that people don't go to. And next thing you know, it's going to be like, and, and if, if relayed to that generation, like, well, just like your favorite waterfall that you used to go to and take pictures of and post. And now you notice that like, there's 40 people there when you get there and trash floating. Yeah. And, and now you go try and get some waves and like that spot is, you know, whatever, but yeah. So are the lineups more crowded? Um, I'll probably be very bit vague about a lot of Kauai specific stuff in that just because um, so user-friendly spots yes um, and also with the the advent of the love of logging and riding fishes and all this kind of stuff it, it just opens up people that used to be like trying to ride their you know elf shoe Slater model 
or they couldn't surf at in good waves and then they show up to surf like a, a mushy point or something like that and it was just a nightmare and so they would all bob around and then uh, only go when it's perfect or something like that and now you got a little bit more but in general that crowd is more enjoyable okay you know as far as less aggressive yeah but you, the the opportunities worldwide to surf by yourself are less now than ever it's just what it is and so yeah as far as like on oahu um i was over there a couple uh, about a month ago and i could not believe how many toe-headed groms were out at pipe on a pretty good day hmm. and um you know back in the day there was no 10 11 12 year old kids getting any waves if the if there was any around but that like john john phenomenon or whatever like all these kids are doing it and like surfing pretty well they're getting little corners and getting barreled and trying airs and all that very different than you know us dyeing our hair black and spray painting our board because you know Perry Daner, one of the boys, told us to beat it the day before, and we're like, "Well, if we show up now, you know." And it's it just a di- it's a different thing. And I'm sure I'm sure there's still a level of that. And since I'm not in that world anymore, I'm sure that there's still, but it's not like the wolf packs blowing whistles and beating people up on the the beach for breaking rules that they shouldn't have broken. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a testament to some of that type of. Um, uh, stewardship of of the area because like through the 80s the work that was done in the 70s and early 80s kind of kept it at bay a little bit and then once that generation started dying off it, it took a few years before people started getting aggro and taking advantage in the more like mid to late 90s and then there had to be a new wave of that stewardship to correct again and and now i think because of the level of surfing being so ridiculously high yeah. and the critical nature of how they're surfing that kind of that kind of separates you know you can't exactly yeah. you, you, you can't pretend that you're going to go sit where they sit and catch waves on like a mini tanker unless you're on that level of surfer jamie, you know jamie o'brien yeah that's it yeah 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 i, I saw uh, sitting with my my buddy, watching his son surf pipe, and uh, Jamie was down at like off the wall, riding a soft top, taking off on some ridiculous like six foot peak that was a total closeout. Instead of standing up, he like scooted onto his butt and like s- like sledded down it. Oh my god! And I was watching it like that's so done. But, a wave that you would have been mortified to even paddle into. Oh, yeah, it would have been stroking for the horizon. Like, yeah. get me over this thing. It's a horrible closeout. And yeah. he just swung. And, yes, he's doing it for his camera and, and all that. But he's so stinking skilled that he knows his parameters there. He can totally – he's done that probably 100 times in gnarlier situations. Yeah. And he can go do that. And it's like a fun – like, that was a little rush. That was fun. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's rad. Wild. It's, it's totally super rad. Wild. I think the <clears throat> thing that you're talking about, all the Grom surfing pipeline, is definitely reflective of – the litigious society that we're living in those kids aren't going to get punched out all that like Mm. you said but it's also just because the guys their fathers put in those hard yards in the 90s and the 2000s their fathers are probably largely pipe surfers as well 
And so it's logical that this is the cycle that we go through in life. Like pipe hasn't been surfed for a hundred years. It's only mm. been surfed for a few decades. Yeah. And now we're starting to see the second and the third generation benefit from that. Yeah. Know? Well, and I would say though, it's probably more of a 50-50 of the pipe charger dad who has the kids that are now taking the reins and the fairly wealthy, very nice home up in Pupike Heights a doctor dad or something like that whose kids have just been on the homeschool surf program growing up and they got the the finances to go surf summer in bali and they're used to getting barreled spend the winter and you know if if they ride for whoever they ride for and it's it's definitely not a have not sport right i mean most most of the guys and like in any sport most of the guys that are inspiring had not right and, and earned it yeah gabriel medina right now yeah you know, guys like that like yeah and um uh, i remember uh surfing a contest and being sponsored by the same company as this guy donald day um who's from like malibu area and i remember it was a, a psaa at, at malibu and we're like getting ready and I have like my bag, I got a backup wetsuit, I had all this stuff, you know, like being like little dad, you know, I like, I made sure all my stuff was right. I had my sponsor's stuff correct. I wasn't going to be like disappointing anybody. And Donald showed up with holes all in his wetsuit. I know he had a brand new wetsuit somewhere (laughs) or he, maybe he gave it away to his dad or somebody, I don't know, but he, didn't even have a towel to change in. He kind of pulled his shirt down and cover himself and like, you know, put his suit on, threw all his stuff in a pile in the sand and walked around it to make a little moat. So if the tide came up and um, went out and surfed twice as good as I ever would. And I, I was like, why is he not dialed in? Like, why doesn't he have all this figured out? He didn't give a rip. He, um, I wouldn't say he was a have not, but he wasn't privileged other than the fact that he lived in like Topanga Canyon or somewhere kind of close to being able to surf good waves. But that's a totally different, um, mindset, mindset, totally. And, and, um, there's a bunch of guys that if they had the finances to be on the QS or do whatever, a bunch of people that I know of do, they would be qualifying and stuff too. Because they surf that good. You know what's interesting, though, is what is – does that translate to other life skills? Like, yeah, he's a more talented, creative surfer, tapped into that. But here we are sitting in your business – you know, 20 years on, you own a business. Now you have time to surf when you want. I wonder what he's up to. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because um, I remember trying to help friends that – just surfed so much better than I did that I'm like, well, how am I getting paid to go surfing at, at, you know, or at least even getting free stuff? Like you, you should be getting, you know, it's not. And I would say I learned how the business worked, which has been, and I also knew that I wasn't going to make it. I mean, I I was in the same age bracket as Kelly and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I was like, yeah, as long as they keep pulling me along, I'll do whatever. But at some point I need a job. I need to, you know, so I, I thought that way from a young age where a lot of the guys that surf on such a high level, it's easy to drag that out a lot longer than you should. Mm -hmm. Um, when you don't have the other skills. And I think that's a great point that you just said, but 
So if you don't have the skills to market yourself or to present yourself or any of those aspects, uh, talent only goes so far. And if you are earning a bunch of money at that time, do you have the skills to manage that money? Yeah. To be- like all of these things, <laughs> life is complicated. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing that I, I like. I, I don't feel like I could even really speak to because in my day there wasn't money. True. I mean, like I remember that's being a modern really, really stoked on my five hundred dollars. You know, kind of like I'm getting a paycheck and a travel fund. Like yeah. okay. Yeah. And uh, compared to you know, there's some kids that are, um, you know, making eight grand a month at thirteen or something, mm-hmm. and that's just from one of their sponsors sometimes. And yeah. I mean, and and I would say good and bad but that's all changing right now totally. and we're in the midst of it yeah and and the reality of how good that is for surfing i don't like the business of surfing and the sport of surfing and all that kind of stuff i don't know but like for surfing i think it's so much healthier to have people um knowing that i'm i'm going to encourage my kids to be their best not just at surfing but just in general yeah because there's a, a pretty unhealthy generation and that you know with the whatever the last 20 years has produced of people that um, the one kid makes money and has a life and whatever and, and the other kids that were all on that same level or whatever that didn't have that same skill set for whatever reason they hate their life like if they're you know pounding nails or, or busting tables or doing whatever they're doing, they're doing it out of spite that they couldn't make it and they're pissed about it. And that translates into alcoholism and drug abuse and all this other kind of stuff compared to like, yeah, I pound nails all day, but then I go to Indo for three weeks every summer yep. and I live, you know, in Hawaii and I score good waves all the time. Like there, you, there can be a very healthy happiness and, and just um, enjoyment of an existence whatever your job is like you can you know you can dig in ditches can be your favorite thing to do in the world and you can still surf (laughs) like it doesn't have to i honestly i think i i personally have a pretty um even-handed opinion about a lot of whatever we discuss on the podcast like i see both sides of this i suppose but when it comes to that example you just said of a 13 year old making 8k a month for surfing I think I feel pretty strongly that it's yeah. entirely bad, that it's only servicing the brand's marketing efforts, and that's it. I don't think that it services the kid. I don't think it services you and I as viewers of surfing in any way. Like, I don't think it breeds a better surfer out of that kid. I think it's almost all exclusively downside. And so, if you're a parent of one of those kids, you can be aware of that and then be a steward of those funds, like, make sure. You stock, uh, you know, yep. sock them away and all that sort of stuff, but so that it's less detrimental to the kid's progress as a development as a human being, but also as a surfer. Um, but it really only services the brands, I think, in that scenario. And in doing that, it's a giant disservice to the surf industry exactly. because yeah. now instead of so that's one of the things that I think has um, has been the reason why I've had any or we as a, a, a shop a law exchange has had any success is that we are are doing our best to be special 
because it's specialty retail. And um, for Kauai, like there's other surf shops. And so we have to be different in order to be special. We can't, we can't just be another surf shop. And we bring in like outdoor and different things that we have some more flexibility with to, to service the community that is like, we all go hiking. We all enjoy that. You know, who, who doesn't surf and camp or whatever, like all that, it all fits and it makes sense. But if you're, if you buy into what the surf industry has sold as what matters, and it's so interesting because, um, I remember meeting with, a very high up at Quicksilver and him saying kooks in Nebraska are the reason why we get to sponsor Kelly and this and that. And I thought about that, like, so as a business, what if those kooks decide that that's not cool anymore? And it, for the last long time. And I remember, um, when Kolohe, uh, signed with, uh, Target, I, told, I, I remember going like, well, everything's screwed up now because if Chloe's the one that all the other 13-year-old boys are going to look up to and want to be and all the 13-year-old girls want to wish their boyfriends looked like and acted like, then they're going to wear a plain flannel that if it has a logo on it is hidden somewhere and a plain pair of jeans and a white t-shirt because that's what Chloe's wearing plus that's what Target's selling. And... That is also traditional surfwear. My dad used to wear Levi's and Pendleton's. Like all of that is normal. So if we go back to this reset, where's the money in t-shirts with giant logos on it? Or where's the money in, you know, why are we buying denim from, you know, Orange County when they're not the best at making denim? That's mm-hmm. just like board shorts, wetsuits, stylized things are cool yeah and and style you know one of the things you can love or hate joel tudor but one of the things that he continues to um kind of put out there on a consistent basis is that style is king and and he he does it in such a way that it makes you remember that the, the only reason why we like say like mickey dora or any of those kind of guys is because the stylistic way of how they live their lives yeah was interesting and interesting is fun and interesting sells and no interesting, question. you know, yeah. where, you know, you, if you have surfing being a jock mentality um, thing, it's like there's a bunch of kids that play golf and live in San Clemente and they probably wear Hurley, you know, yeah. but they're not or they maybe they're wearing nike or whatever but they're not dressing the way that you know tiger woods does on game day right they're not you know tucking in their shirt and wearing that whatever they're not they're not dressing like that so why if that's what they're super into and it's because the culture golf doesn't have a culture when you're done playing golf you go back to your job or whatever where like surfers have always had that I go to my job as a surfer. I leave my job as a surfer. Yep. You know, I, ha- I have to like speak as a surfer. I have to be a surfer. Yeah. Um, but I think that's changing and it's going to continue to change with the uh, introduction of this very international Olympic style of the sport because some guy that doesn't know any better because he doesn't, he isn't from San Clemente or he's not from Haliva or whatever, like whatever genre of surfer He's just a guy who happens to be like a nurse somewhere that loves surfing 
and he wears board shorts when he's surfing but right. outside of that he wears clothes yeah. <laughs> you know like what um what year did you get into retail and why retail if you're gonna work in the surf biz why retail um so when i was 13 years old my um well so i guess to back up i i was born in los angeles and um Grew up right around the corner from Glenn Kennedy's surf shop in um, San Fernando Valley in Woodland Hills. And um, Glenn was very gracious and, and cool as a hardcore shop that, you know, built boards in the back room and um, had a very loyal, small kind of niche. But he was also widely influential in bringing in Uggs and kind of blowing that up for LA, which it spread from there. And, and I mean, during the winter, Glenn's shop would turn into an UGG outlet almost. I mean, he would have hundreds of boxes of UGGs in there. He probably still does, even though um, uh, he passed just this last year, which is super sad. But um, I spent, me and my buddies, we would skate over there and hang out. And, and I started sweeping up after you know him shaping and doing some thing repair a little bit. And um, that always was the cool fun spot to be and i had a buddy named vince perry that was um glenn's nephew and um we got to do some fun trips like going out to the ranch and just different things like that really plugged me in kind of and um the manager of that shop so i started writing for glenn when i was like 12 or something like that i don't sometime where i served my first contest and i on accident one i didn't know what i was doing and that kind of opened up this relationship and the manager there this guy charlie Arbizu, he um was down at malibu and came up to my parents and said your son's like seems pretty on it i want to um have him be my weekend manager for my new shop i'm opening up and um he would ask me very good questions and like he would he would ask me questions when we so we started coming out to um Kauai at that same time like as a family yeah as a family and like my, my my dad um wanted to move to Hawaii or he wanted out of LA from kind of the get-go and um he was very young working his way through chiropractic college and he got a chance to come out to Hawaii on the chiropractic board's dime because they were like, you're a surfer guy going to chiropractic college. I bet we can entice you to come out to Hawaii. And so he came out to Oahu and Maui, um, had a great trip and it was all awesome, but he didn't feel that like connection, but he knew he loved Hawaii. And first time we got to Kauai, um, on the tarmac not even like in the airport yet he was like this is it we're good (laughs) yeah he just fell in love with it and so we were coming out all the time and um charlie would give me little assignments hey find out where aloha shirts are being made find out what kind of rubber xl is using in hawaii or is it bleached is it black is it you know what i mean like all these little things that i just started doing so when i would be like say on a family vacation, come to Kauai and we're surfing and everything, but I was spending a bunch of time at like Progressive Expressions down in Kaloa, um, just checking stuff out, like doing my homework that I thought I had to because I was like a little manager and yeah. I, I have to do my homework. So I'd do my homework and that ended up opening all these doors. Um, there was a woman who used to uh, 
basically run the shop progressives down in Kaloa, um, Mel Sato and her husband, Bob Sato was just sitting in because she was, had a, an appointment or something like that. And he was just sitting in a super old school style, like, you know, anybody could sit there and just say hi, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So he's sitting in, we start chatting and whatever. And he invites us to church. He invites us to, um, me to go surf with them. And he starts taking me around and he's like a surf coach and mentor to a whole bunch of guys. And there used to be a bodyboard, uh, um, group called Kauai Classic, and they were hugely influential in the bodyboard scene through the 80s and early 90s. And um, those guys ended up being some of my best friends and mentors, and all of that. And, and Bob, whose house is right above our shop, which it was super cool to kind of have that full loop there. Um, but those were all like those. That was because I hung out in a surf shop. As Jamie's surfing improved, he began to compete, get small sponsorships, and those things gifted him the opportunity to travel the world. Then from there, like surfing competitively and like really kind of serious about it, I never liked competing. Um, It never set well with me as far as like comfort level. I was always out of my element and knew that I was kind of faking it because everybody else here surfs better than me, whatever. But I won some contests and I did well. But the whole time I was like, picking the team manager's brain, uh, asking if I can meet the production guy. And so I was learning a little bit of production, learning a little bit of um, marketing, learning a little bit of sales and like figuring out like, why are you guys even giving me stuff? Is it like, how? Do, what's the equation there? How do totally. you quantify that? With a priority on travel, retail work was always available to Jamie when he'd return home. Retailers were used to short-term employees and his use of the products gave him an expertise beyond his co-workers, and the earnings would help him fund future trips. There was also an odd stint when I was 15, 16, where I was an assistant manager for uh, PacSun in Woodland oh, okay. Hills, uh, which gave me a ton of knowledge that I thought I was kind of selling out, whatever, but it was like, I kind of wanted a job that paid better than like the local shop, and um, I was traveling enough that I needed somebody that would say, yeah, you can have this time off and that time off. And um, uh, their training was like corporate style where they're like putting you through color wheel exercises and all this other kind of stuff that I still retain some of it today if I agree or disagree with it. it but I watched that go from a uh, shop where we were selling surfboards and wetsuits and building skateboards to strictly clothing and then biting the clothing like them starting their own brand was like that is now like Jimmy Z was huge back then and they all of a sudden it was like they had a I think their company was called Division or something like that but it was just a PacSun um, like little label so they they were knocking off Stussy and Jimmy Z and all those guys and just knocking it off but carrying both of them side by side this one's 40 bucks this one's 60 bucks kind of thing and um, that was a real good uh, another like just learning part Jamie found his way back to Kauai multiple times. At the age of 21, he was helping a small shop called Nukamoy develop their concept and brand, and the owners gave him the added responsibility of doing some buying. Volcom over in Newport Beach, California had just launched, and they were exploding. Their success kickstarted a bunch of other small clothing brands, one of which was called Swivel. Swivel tapped Jamie as their jack-of-all-trades, and he started surfing for them as a sponsored athlete, helping them with retail placements, and eventually 
With the responsibility of a new marriage, Jamie took a pragmatic look at the limited potential of his pro-surf career, and Swivel offered him his first non-retail job in the surf industry. Here's what the contract would look like. Here's what, you know, the... Um the sales that we already have, this is what your commission would be. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff, which awesome. I didn't realize that the, the sales have to actually be there later too for me to get commissions. So um, my wife, who is newly pregnant, we sold all our stuff here, um, moved to California, um, lived in Costa Mesa, Newport, and did a year of struggling like really, really hard because I didn't get paid. Yeah. You know, I, I was, uh, the SoCal rep for track top, um, had a, like a little skateboard longboard label, um, that I was working for and a couple other brands and stuff. And at the same time I was, um, my best friend growing up, um, Sam Shartino, him and I were starting famous. Um, so, um, our, it was just wax at that time. And so we we're doing that out of his garage and like just kind of hustling. And I was driving up and down. I, I had all of California as my territory and then, you know, managing other reps and, and distributors and stuff like that. Um, poorly because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was working really hard at it and I thought I was doing a really good job, but I, I learned some crazy things about the industry along that way of like, if you sell to Nordstrom's, Nordstrom's can then sell you back everything at the end of the season and you make negative money. Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like things, and it was like, what are we doing? And that's not surf. I know that. And in the reality, um, you know, what I ended up doing to make sure my new baby had food and all of that was once I get to a point where my wife was like, there's no way you can work for no money anymore. <laughs> um, I worked at a call center for Marriott, bugging people during their dinner time, like trying to get them to go do a timeshare. And wow. I worked at Costco and Fountain Valley. And one of the big wake ups there was um, Tom Curran came walking in during the U.S. Open time. And I'm like saying hi to him and stuff. And he, he goes and uh, fills up his cart and he comes to check out and he didn't have a Costco card. And they're like, you can't buy this stuff. And he's like, what? <laughs> but it was like, I'm like, man, this guy is like God, but he can't function Yeah. Uh, on like some of those levels because he's never had to. Yep. And I, I got to witness, you know, Archie do some crazy stuff in Europe where it's like, Gotcha and O'Neill and whoever was paying him at the time like kept giving him checks when he's like the guy's trying to kill himself. Yeah, and the industry was just really unhealthy. Sure. You know, um, dejected from his experience in the California surf industry, Jamie returned to Kauai. He and his brother started a surf school in Poipu, aptly named Kauai Surf School. His brother eventually left to go pursue a new career path, and Jamie brought in his current partner, Nathan Sparky Metzger. Doing it by yourself, business in general, doing it by yourself is really hard. Um, it's one of my regrets in business is that I didn't stay in California to help Sam with Famous because I know for him doing it by himself was, no matter how successful it was at whatever period and all of that, um, the help I gave from afar wasn't what is needed on a daily basis to get through business correctly. Um, 
And by the grace of God, he's an amazing person with an amazing business ability that he was able to do all that with me over here teaching surf lessons. But um, so in 2006, I brought in um, my business partner, Nathan, we call him Sparky. Um, And we were doing really good as far as just the surf school, you know, cranking along, doing um, some surf camps with some Norwegian schools that would come over and spend time with us and like doing some fun, interesting stuff that kept us. And we had like, uh, we were sponsored by Hurley for a bit. And I started a friends and family shop in my office at my house because guys are always hitting me up for famous because, you know, it's my brand and um and i it wasn't necessarily available all all over and one of the interesting things about retail in hawaii is that repping in hawaii super sucks because you have to be able to your territory is multiple islands it's so expensive to jump around or or whatever so Kauai specifically gets totally left like if you're on oahu you get serviced really well the reps are as deep in knowledge surf industry wise as you can find it's like southern california or whatever like it started in hawaii at the same time you know as far as selling surf goods but on Kauai, you're like left alone and so i would have reps here and there in hawaii and not really get why like why am i not just handling it it didn't work yeah it was very cost ineffective and hawaii is 10 years behind in the new stuff generally so you try and come out like no this wax is better or whatever it's like yeah i want this like there's still guys on Kauai that surf pretty well that are buying like the old school sex wax from like 7-eleven or a mini Huni mart or something like that and they're cool with it it's like i that's funny yeah more power to you I, i'd yeah. slip but you guys are doing it so um the timing of Jamie and Nathan opening this surf school adjacent retail shop dovetailed with the emergence of small brands, some based out of California, whom didn't have thorough distribution networks, but they'd work with Jamie directly with low or no minimums, and Jamie could keep his local clientele psyched with the latest functional, fashionable products on the market. Um, sunglasses, I had you know leashes, traction, board bags, and wax from Famous. A little bit of stuff from different people that you know within the industry that we know and, and friends with and um, we ended up needing like an office office for the surf school instead of just running out of my house and what we did forever and um, we found this space or actually my business partner Sparky's wife found this space and um, it was like it was this this portion like our back stock and all that it was it was a, a quarter of this building basically okay. And it had an office and it had this like garage. And so Sparky was like, let's do your shop. And it was like, I don't know, whatever. And he started kicking around and I just had it stuck in my head. Like in order to do a cool shop, I have to have enough money that I'm not doing it for money at all. But the reality is I'm a surf instructor. I'm a, you know, like I, I've never chased the money. So why would I ever really have the money? to do that right you know it doesn't make any sense but in my head that's how it kind of played out and i always knew like eventually i'm gonna have my brand or whatever i've built out stores for other people and they've been very successful i know i can do it i have confidence there but it's so different when it's like i'm paying or like we're we're gonna take our paychecks and like put that into this instead okay and um 
so we started kind of going down that road and the interesting thing is like when we first started we worked with uh brixton because of dave stoddard um he's super close with um sam from my business partner with famous and um so i you know just like it was basically friends like the boys at captain finn the boys at rain um it was just like you know the, the our friends are local shapers and it was ju- just those products and then we started you know reaching out to a couple people just kind of i didn't know yet and then we ended up being good friends with them and it's, but so it's kind of worked that way um one of the brands that we work with close now patagonia like i didn't know anybody at patagonia and then uh zach ended up being like the the surf guy there who we do know but he, when we first started like we didn't really have a connection there or whatever but um paul carson who does patagonia for hawaii he's a super awesome human and we love working with him and he's a, a friend now you know and um keone watson who we work with with visla and the stokehouse brands like uh, sister revolution and stuff he's an awesome friend so we've still got to keep that but we, we've expanded kind of beyond the you know three or four brands that i had like real intimate kind of relationships with it's just kind of blossomed from that and at the same time our brand which we didn't intend to grow has grown and one of the funny things is when we first got this space as we were starting to build it out and we did it very DIY it was kind of like you know start taking pallets apart and do our thing um when we were doing that I was like the rest of this building we got to get it, it was a, a youth art uh, facility, so they were doing like youth art classes and everything, which was super cool because you know my daughters were going next door for art and all that kind of stuff. But it kind of worked out to where it we got to take that over, expand, and, and be a little bit more mindful in our build out and um, open up to bringing in other brands and things like that. Before the expansion, in those first few months of business. Um were you, you said that when you started it at home, it was like friends and family store, basically. Yeah. As you became a real business with a real retail space, was it catering towards friends and family, or were you then catering it towards tourists? Are those customers even different? Uh, yeah. Um, we have always... So one of the big distinctions from owning a surf school that only works with tourists uh, like I, I know guys on the mainland that that have surf schools, and their surf school is like some local people for their area. You know, hmm. like they're they're like maybe you would go drop your kids off to do surf camp if you lived in wherever. Gotcha. That doesn't happen in Hawaii. Like, if you know, if if your mom, dad, uncle, auntie, somebody doesn't take you surfing, like you're not going to some surf camp. That's not the culture. Right. So um, our surf school was working with visitors exclusively i mean very rarely we'd get combine on any level so we were really happy to whatever else we were going to do was going to be focused on community and our our island instead of who's coming to our the island and in the process um that catches on where if if the local community is and I mean, you have to do a good job to keep the community happy and you have to produce cool stuff so that 
uh, somebody else would see it and be interested. But those things all worked out. And so we get people now coming in that are falling, you know, it's, it, it's so easy to um, get by marketing wise and everything else nowadays with Instagram and, yeah. and all that. Like, I mean, it's free. It's, it's people are coming in, maybe they live in Arizona and they come in like, Oh, we've been following you for six years. And he was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I leaving the airport before I even checked into our condo, I saw a car. It was in front of me on the road that had an Aloha Exchange sticker on it. Mm. A local car with yeah. the Aloha Exchange sticker. So the tourist, me, is influenced by that. You know, I'm like, hey, if the locals are buying, if they're going to Aloha Exchange, then that's where I should go to. Yeah, I, and I and I think that's um, that's cool, and uh, again, like flattering and and um, on all of that. But at the end of the day, if anything happens on this island, tourists stop coming. You know what I mean? Like if there's a hurricane or this or that, but we're all going to keep living here. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, we should be catering and taking care of our community. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the surf industry overall has gone wrong is that we stopped taking care of our community of surfers and we yeah. started trying to be a youth lifestyle thing that is built on trend and, and, trends are going to happen and trends are cool i mean like if trends didn't happen we all be bored and we'd only buy one pair of board charts that last forever or whatever but you you can't like say like the super crazy skinny jeans fat or, or something like that so you chase that where's that going to take you it's not going to take you to now we always offer these like tights for men it it takes you to now we got to build different jeans and you know it's it's just like this weird roller coaster where like say if you're building board shorts or wetsuits or something that's actually used by surfers so what do you you're you're going to build something that functions better yeah that that lasts longer or uh, it's more sustainable or there's going to be some purpose there but when it's just strictly fashion for trend's sake it's you aren't surf anymore and it just doesn't matter so and i think that's where um all the money is obviously and so it's hard not to get like tricked into that you know and we actually get hit up a decent amount what by brands or or shops across the country that want to wholesale our product but it's like what benefit is it to take what we have and go put it in some other person's shelf that may or may get displayed correctly and i and i talk to uh, like some of the smaller brands that we work with and things like i talk to them that are in the the big name shops that they go back the next week and it's like where our stuff go it's like oh it's in the back area now because this or that you know it's like you have no control and the being anonymous in a retail situation is death yep so <laughs> so it dilutes your brand. You actually have to set up infrastructure to even make sure that you get that payment, chase that payment down, all that. That's sure. a whole different business. Yeah. And that kind of avenue of the business needs to be able to fund itself and self-sustain. You have to have employees dedicated to it. Yeah. So it's risky. It's a whole different business model. Definitely. And and it's interesting. Like there, there are shops. So through this process, um, 2013 – beginning of 2013 we we started like the process of of uh building this brand without really knowing we were building a brand um in that process there was 
it was kind of a cool time because there was a bunch of surf blogs out there because Instagram and all that was brand new, basically. Um, and those blogs were showing these really cool shops like the Mollusk and the um, you know, Thalia's. And just there was a bunch of cool shops that were doing it a little bit different than, say, the HSS Jack's kind of paradigm. And um, hard not to be influenced by what you see and kind of like go down that road a little bit. And it's um, like there's a, a shop in Santa Cruz called Sawyer. Yep. And um, uh, I've gotten to know Stacy a little bit and she, she comes to Kauai and kind of gets her R&R and comes and hangs out. And um, when she first walked in our store, we didn't know anything about e- each other. And she comes walking in our store and she's like, whoa, this is kind of like what I'm doing. And it's just because that's what the pot was brewing at the time of mm-hmm. this alternative yet not left way out uh, off the field kind of situation. It was more of just like, it's just different than your mall retail, you yeah. know? Um, and in, in doing so, I think that there's opportunities for still good retail to be done. Um, I was chatting, uh, my business partners and I, we went to um, OR last summer first their re- first show that we did as a retailer you're talking about trade shows. trade shows yeah, yeah sorry um you know the asr days and the agendas and the um expos and all that and i right yeah just because of business so going to a show that was outdoor it wasn't even like in our my my understand like I, I know sir if i don't i mean if you want me to break down the technical aspects of like why this tends better than this other one those are things I have to learn, yeah. you know, and um, which has been super fun because there's a lot of cool technical stuff that people really know about um, in the OR world that is much better business, and they stay really true to their core. They're like, I mean, like Patagonia, for example, they make a bunch of stuff that you could say is maybe on trend, but that's because trends have come back or something. They don't chase. And they're developing the trend, probably. On some levels, like on their technical goods, yes. But on their like fashion stuff, they're. I mean, they they've they've gotten a little bit more on trend, but it's like they just do what they do. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's like that's and in the outdoor world, there's so much of that that I'm just didn't know of. I, mean, I don't live in Denver. I don't know this stuff. So it was really cool going through and, and seeing that. But what, interestingly, because REI is now a player in the surf industry and, and those things, Volcom, all, all those brands, they're all there at OR. And um, uh, we were meeting with Visla and the Stokehouse guys, and uh, Paul Nutty was there. And so we were having a chat with him. And um, he said something very profound that I've always um, thought – You know, it was a very, it was like me talking to myself kind of moment where he said, yeah, uh, bad retail is always bad and good retail is always good. And I think that's true in any kind of business. Like if you're a bad doctor, it's not that medicine sucks now. It's like, you know, you're bad at being a doctor. There's good doctors. And if there's bad lawyers and there's good lawyers, there's, you know, there's bad of all these different things. And um in in retail we forget that you're supposed to advance and do cool stuff yeah because you like built the walls people come in and it's like what they're not coming in anymore and um there's a lot of fragile things that are happening in economy that dictates how you work like if if the 
uh, budget gets really tight, you stop ordering certain things, and those certain things might be the reason why people come in. And you don't know that until you just lost all your customers. Yep. So the the freedom um, and not working out of fear, and that's one of the things that we've been hit with a bunch is that there's other retailers that are scared of us doing what we do. It's like, well, I mean, we want to be as individual as we can. And we want, you know, if, if there's crossover in the market as far as um, distribution goes, a lot of times that's because it's like, well, come on. I mean, that's our good friend. We're going to work with him. Yeah. Like, we're not going to not, you know. We're, we're, that's going to happen. So we're going to we're going to work with them. But there's a lot of brands that we like that we would like to investigate that other shops carry that we're like they got it. Right. There's no we, you know, we don't need to be them. They get to be them, we'll be us. But there's other owners that are they work out of fear and they stress out and they put um they put energy into like stressing the reps out and different things like that, you know? And um, it it creates this culture, uh, and I, I would say, and I've heard from reps a bunch that Kauai is probably more strange that way than just about anywhere because it's such a little uh, dome of um, high influence because of the surfers that have come out of here and the the, the names that are on island and everything, um, and so there's some prestige in doing well or at least having business here. And then at the same time, it's just so isolated that you kind of feel like, so what if they're on the other side of the island? Like, I don't want them getting that one customer or whatever. Um, but we've always kind of hung our hat on, like, we have some uh, assurance that most of what we do doesn't matter nearly as much as we think it does. So we do what we do. And if it works out, awesome. If not, we're going to have to get better at it. And, yeah. you know, it, if somebody's going to come in and, and, uh, do what we do better that's our fault yeah. and and i mean i definitely learned that lesson the only reason why i had the opportunity to have a surf school is because margo and the other schools that were here weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing and um left they, a gap yeah left 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 an entry there um how do surfboards factor into your retail business um there isn't a huge um footprint of surfboards in your shop or the shop that we're sitting in anyways you're i noticed three or four brands one kind of main big international brand that everybody would know and then a couple of small local builders is it a profit center for the business are you only do you only have surfboards here because you want to have surfboards in your shop but they're not profitable like where do they fit into a retail business in today's world um i think that there is opportunity for surfboards to be profitable. I don't think there is on Kauai, but I know like say a surf ride or somebody who has like 200 plus boards on the floor at any given time, they're, they're definitely uh, leveraging a lot of money to have on the floor, but they're selling 10 boards a day or something like that. And, and that's, that's a lot of other product that filters. So I think there's money to be made in, in surfboards if you have the opportunity to do it right. Um, on Kauai, very interestingly, like, but, and so this is a struggle because um, I'm a surfer that 
geeks out on all that stuff and it the way I was raised in my retail experience is that your core matters and not I'm not saying like your core customer or whatever but the, your core like who I am matters to how my business is going to be portrayed I mean my um philosophies on life matter to how I run my business all, all those things come in so I believe surfboards are really cool like I I love I have a shed with more surfboards than I can ride and there's only one reason for that <laughs> you know so uh I if I have my way and the opportunity to I will always have cool boards in the shop um, we've tried a bunch of different things to try and make it viable and make sense. And the reason why we've expanded our um, floor room space into this our little uh, surfboard room, which is a, a twelve or a thirteen by thirteen room um, that has our surf accessories and, and boards in, and by taking them off of the other main floor space, was um, so that we could actually be cool with how negative the cash flow is for that floor space. Um, so getting boards built in Hawaii is more expensive than getting boards built somewhere else. If you live on Kauai and you surf and you don't know your local shaper, you aren't doing something right. And so since we don't have a tourist driven business and we have a local driven business, we don't have that kind of uh, relationship with visitors when they come walking in. They're not coming in here shopping for a board necessarily unless the shaper is pointing them towards us because all of our friends, everybody that we know that would love to support us and buy a board from us, they also know that shaper. You know, So like Will Scoville, Lance Ebert, those guys are great shapers. But we all know them. Like, why wouldn't you go sit down, have a beer, and get your board shaped? Like, you—that's how it's in, in in my experience. That's how it should work. Also, like, we don't want to necessarily take away from that. Right. And it's quite frustrating when you try and build a business situation to work within that when it's like you know that it's opposite of the reality that you're sitting in. Like, no, my buddy's not coming in here, but. We also have like the west side of the island has, um, you know, a few days a year where everybody breaks their boards. So you get the instant need or instant gratification aspect of sometimes guys. But um, recently we, we started working with um, Britt Merrick and his team of guys, which has been a, a rad blessing. They're, they run a great business. Channel Islands. Yeah, with Channel Islands. And, um, you know, Britt's a great guy. Jonathan, Tyler, and Jamie, who like I kind of interact with a little bit, they they all seem like amazing people. So it's like fun. It, it it's, it's at, at first it was like this. Oh man, are we, you know, going to be bringing in stuff that's undercutting our local guy? And you know, you go through all that. And we used to um, sell a decent amount of like Hayden shapes. Um, same situation, but we went through a period there where it was like we're selling a bunch of hiptos and whatever, and, and guys were surfing better because they were riding a board with the proper volume and a little bit more width in the nose, getting the waves earlier and a, a, a nice long rail line. So they're able to surf like bigger surf 
more properly instead of a like shortboard shape. But then it's like, shoot, you know, that guy bought a board from that company instead of from my buddy down the street. So I, when we first built this room out, we were expanding into that. It was, okay, this is our local shapers, our friends showroom, put whatever boards you want in here and let's do that. But the stagnant movement of the boards, I mean, guys would come in and feel handle, check them out and then go down and order a board, which we're like, we kind of knew that's what was going to happen and we're cool with it. Same thing happens with Patagonia. I mean, somebody comes in and tries a jacket on and goes like, okay, I know I'm a large. And then they wait for that once a year Patagonia online sale and they do it. And we're cool with that. If, if we are your community shop that you can be a part of in whatever way, we're cool with it. But with how much it costs to have the space, energy, and knowledge to run a surfboard sales type of situation, um, it's a hard one to swallow. Yeah. Honestly, this is not to throw shade at those guys, but it, the onus really is on the board builder to develop their brand so that tourists are coming to purchase those boards once they arrive in the same way that when people go to the North Shore, they'll buy a Rawson or an Arakawa. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not going to bring my Southern California-made board to the North Shore. I'm going to order a board that's made for me once I arrive there. Yeah. Kauai builders could do that in theory, and they'd be wise to. Well, and I would say it's safe to say that they do. Um, so our North Shore shop up in Kilauea, we work with Terry Chun, and if if you're a part of that crowd surfing those kind of waves, you know, like the Laird Hamilton and all that kind of stuff, like that's, a, that's your only option. You're ordering one of those boards, you yeah. know? And, and so guys call Terry and work with Terry. The guys call Will and work with him. They call Lance and work with them or they, but generally that doesn't work out. Even if sometimes it's like, Hey, can I leave this board in? This guy's coming to pick it up. I'm going to be in my shop working all day or, you know, yeah. like that's cool because they're going to come by and that's almost more productive than having a rack of boards. Like tell yeah. the guy to come in, maybe he gets a hat and a t-shirt. <laughs> like, that's right. great. Um, but we can help him out with some wax and leash and all of that stuff. It's, it's just not the numbers when you look at how many places there are to get or how many shapers there are. I mean, we got Billy Hamilton, we got Steve Rex, we got, there's like, there's a ton of good shapers, you know, on the Island, Max Medeiros. I mean, there's like legends on island that are down papa sal there's like there's just so many good shapers um there's far less good glassers most of the guys are having glass their own boards to get quality um but the Amua glass shop in lahui they you know there's 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 opportunity but it's really saturated yeah and, and it's a tough one. So, um, like, I just got a batch of dead kooks from um, Eden. So it's like, well, why would you bring in a, a brand from Australia? You know, uh, well, he was in Hawaii last year and shaping boards. And so it's like, why not throw some candy on the shelves? And, and you know, yeah, I, I don't think that these, like, bigger name guys ha- – their names don't tow the same weight on Kauai as they do, like say, like in Southern California or something like that. But um, for the person that's interested, it's cool. We've worked with um, Ryan Lovelace um, with a batch of boards. We're going to be getting a couple Thomas Bextons, you know, like just um, Travis Reynolds. Um, there's a, a 
guy that grew up here on Kauai that's now living on Oahu, Carson Myers. And um, Myers Surfboards, he worked with Arakawa for a little bit and stuff. But it, So he's doing some beautiful you know, fishes and logs and kind of that alternative kind of thing. And, you know, Lance Ebert does a bunch of, I mean, the amount of um, traditional knowledge that some of these guys have and, and get to implement. And then, you know, so you, everything from a young shaper to a very seasoned shaper, um, we have locally. And we want to, like, mature with them and, like, work with them. But the reality of business is that that isn't business. That is straight up hobby. Yeah. And so... I'm down for the hobby, but it can only be so much. Like if, if, if like right now we have between our two stores, um, and, and our surf school, we have like 17 employees. So those are like 17 families that we're helping out and doing all this stuff where we, I want to keep doing that. That's, that's way more, um, edifying than like just racks of surfboards, <laughs> but it's a bummer also because, you know, when new boards come in and you know our uh, this little room smells like resin and um and neoprene like that's a cool thing for me it's very nostalgic and and what i hope um other people can appreciate yeah but at the end of the day we gotta pay the rent um what does the future look like for aloha exchange you guys have two locations currently do you want more than that would you go onto other islands um the ultimate goal so like when I first started talking about all of that being kind of like on accident, we started a brand. Um, we didn't develop a business plan to grow. That wasn't like the purpose. The purpose was kind of like, oh, cool, I get to do my retirement job now. So um, out of necessity, we're good. Out of want, we um, are opening a third store in Kaloa, so uh, just down the road a little bit. Um, our friends that grew up here in Omal Valley, they um, you know, spent their summers running around Kaloa Town and they wanted to preserve a part of Kaloa Town and got a, a really long-term lease on a historical building. And they live in San Diego now and do Dark Horse Coffee. And so, they're quite successful with their Dark Horse Coffee venture, and they're going to be opening up a Dark Horse Coffee in that building, and then we're going to have the back half of it as our shop. Um, so we're excited for that kind of. Um, we were supposed to open about a year ago, but building or working on a historical building is a little long going. Um, so probably sometime this summer, um, we'll be open there. And in my view, that is total saturation for Kauai. Um, each of our stores has a little different feel or will have a different feel. I mean, they do now. Our Kilauea store definitely doesn't look exactly like our Kalaheo store. Um, our Kaloa store is going to have a, a little different point of uh, difference. And um, hopefully that all speaks to everybody wanting to see all three and, and kind of, you know, again, it's like if, if people come in, think it's rad and purchase something great but if they think it's rad and tell their friends how rad it is and they all come in and think it's rad that it, it just the world keeps going around it, it's we want to just do a really good job of portraying um kind of what the name means you know we're trying to exchange the love of all this stuff that we like to do be it skateboarding or hiking or camping or laying on the beach or surfing or whatever it is within that realm of our lifestyle here on Kauai. Um, 
at the same time as just exchanging all these stories and and passions you know come in i mean there's been everything from you know somebody coming in to want to talk about some hardship they're going through and get a chance to like sit and pray with them but we've just been going through kind of a long bummer um in um kailua on the east side of oahu there's a a store there that ripped off our logos and um kind of a part of our name um and in the process so we're having to deal with our lawyers and do stuff that you know real businessy not real surf shoppy it's part of growth yeah it and again it's like well i guess that's flattering you know it's 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 one of those things where it's like these guys saw quick money and trying to just totally take our two most prominent logos our shop logo which is our circle and then our box logo and they use the exchange spelled without any uh vowels as a part of their name and they just took it and um are being pretty uh difficult to stand down on that and we've had confusion in the marketplace people coming in saying it's so cool you guys are opening in kailua and this and that and i was like what are we doing right no no we're not you know and we have a lot of friends in kailua and um one of our business partners so sparky and i own um the majority of the business but we brought in two um business partners last year um ashley johnson who is uh, she does a, a label called Lucky We Live Hawaii, and um, she's been our women's buyer and designer for a long time now. Um, so she came in as a uh, partner, and then uh, Gabriel Tenberg, um, we call him Jibo. Jibo is an uh, industry um, veteran as far as design and production goes. He's worked with the Quicksilver, Hurley, DC, Element, all those guys as head of design, and um, so we've gotten to elevate our game like our our t-shirts are our t-shirts um our our board shorts work good and all that kind of stuff and we're going to continue growing that way um when you're doing production minimums and all that you start thinking probably should have some more doors (laughs) because it'd be fun but at the same time uh we don't need to chase something you know it's if we get rich that's probably going to be on accident because that's not what we're trying to do necessarily of course it wouldn't be a bummer but it's it's just it's a hard thing to try and chase i think yeah in in the reality of like we're not in la we're not you know like i i would i would say like say you're a mollusk and i don't know this as fact or anything but my view of this situation is that those guys started very much kind of how we did um seemingly whereas like they're just going to do something rad and as they're doing something rad it kind of catches on and then like oh a friend wants to do something rad over here and we'll open another store and let that friend do you know and so as as that progresses you know they're doing some wholesale goods now and they're selling in places like rei and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which is a killer for them um if it works and it seems to be but uh that's a real business yeah you know and um I am a father of five kids and um, I love where I live and all so it's like to have a, a, a multifaceted company that's gonna be I mean one of the reasons why I um, have as little influence in famous as I do now compared to when we started it and it was just the two of us is just I'm not present I'm, and yeah. and I wouldn't my initials like 
dream was okay and and six and a half years ago you know stores like ours in japan were kind of gold mined um i think that's changed a little bit i i've heard from different people just as far as the vitality of some of those like cool small shops or whatever but yeah i'd be stoked to have to go to japan once a year and go check up on my store and you know that that kind of thing um i love byron bay and in that area of australia and i could totally see kind of like what deus has done or something like that like to, to do something like that but um the amount of energy to do that I don't know if that's where we're at. Um, uh, Shops or people ask all the time if we would open a shop on the Big Island, especially Hilo. Um, We have a lot of fans over there. The largest demographic of our followers and all of that are on Oahu. Um, So I think eventually there's a good chance that we'll branch out to another island. But um, like we've been. We've had some proposals in like California and different places like that. And I just don't see the specialness necessarily of uh, Aloha Exchange all over the place. Like what what's as special as, as that is, unless we can come up with a concept that is truly special. And, you know, wherever we popped up, it would be a unique experience. Um, are, you, are you able to service any of those interests through your e-com? On a very small level, um, our e-com is less than two percent of our our sales, um, but we're shipping boxes, you know, shipping packages every day. Um, when you're in the business of experience and authenticity, e-com doesn't really do it for me. But I know I'm pretty unique in that mindset as far as like I don't shop online. Like I, I'm happy to go in and buy, you know something from a store that I have a good experience in. Um, and so I don't, I'm probably like the worst person to ask as far as like the, the health of e-commerce. I do know that all the numbers and everything that I read, it's less, it's around 20% of, you know, all of our country's commerce is, is E. And if that's true, cause I mean, my mom's getting boxes from Amazon all the time. Everybody is, you know? So, if if that's true, all those boxes aren't generating nearly the revenue for those individual companies that are shipping those things. Maybe on a great scale with the Amazon's model or whatever. But I mean, Sears used to do that, and they're like whatever bankrupt and going out. Yeah. So I don't know how the uh, ebbs and flows of of all of that is going to work out in retail. But to go back to like I mean, good retail is going to do good. Yeah. And um, I think good e-commerce is not going to disappear ever. Yep. So uh, there's a lot of different types of e-com. Um, some that are just made to get you the product as quickly as possible for the cheapest amount possible. Yours isn't that, obviously. Yours is people want Aloha Exchange brand because they came to Kauai. Yeah. And then they're at home at Christmas time and they want to give their dad the shirt from the store that he remembers when he yeah. was on vacation. And so they buy a tee or the board shorts. And I think that's a really good and healthy connection with our, yeah. our visitor. And we do have, um, so uh, one of the sales reps that we work with was just here this last week. And he said, oh man, I've been seeing your guys' stuff on Oahu so much. And I always go up to the person and I ask him where they got it. And most of the time it's, they bought it online. And I'm like, oh, that's wild. Because I mean, statistically that shouldn't be the case because we are, you know, it's, it's only so much. 
but the majority of our shipments are going to Oahu. So, um, I, I mean, it, I guess the numbers work, but it's still, um, it's still viable. It's still healthy, and it's it's a part. But we also haven't done the uh, diligence of growing that avenue yet, yeah. and so I think that'll be a part of our future of getting better at that. Yeah. Um, I tend to always look at a website as kind of like a magazine, and I want it just to like look, feel cool, and be cool. But e-commerce can't really do all of that necessarily. Like when you get to the e-commerce site, like page on whatever site, it's like the cool kind of disappears, and now it's like brass tacks. Like okay, here's a shirt, and I can buy it. Yeah. And so I think you kind of you have to be good at it. You have to. Um, I mean, there, there are certain hurdles that um, I've heard uh, on the greater scale, like say uh, J. Crew or somebody like that, they lose a ton of money through their e-commerce because of returns. Those returns can't get back on the floor. I think for somebody small like us, like if somebody sends back a shirt and it's in good working order with the tag still on it, that can hit the floor again. But for some of those bigger businesses, that's not their model. So there's stuff being either shipped to South America or Africa or just somewhere else, or it's being destroyed, which is a whole nother issue of like non-sustainable practice. So I, I don't, I don't know how much um, investment on a, for a small company like us. Because yeah. and the other thing is is so. Shipping from Kauai is about the worst thing to do in the country, you know, unless we can make sure that the USPS keeps doing flat rate boxes. So it, it's, it's kind of, you know, we, we'll never be able to do like, say what Old Navy or somebody does where it's just like, whatever, try it on, send it back. doesn't exactly. matter, whatever, like we lose our shirt. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, final question for everybody is what was the last surfboard that you rode? What are you riding? Um, it was actually a CI Happy um, that I rode the other day. The one with the dent behind you? No. Oh. <laughs> that, that, um, that was a, a mistake by a customer. Oh, no. Um, Jeez. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I um, – so turning 45 this year, I am surfing probably less than I've ever surfed um, just with the – business family all those things five um, kids will do that too. yeah i mean I, i'm getting out of that but my oldest is 21 he's actually uh living in bend oregon so i don't have to i can call him every once in a while but that's the extent of that uh my 19 year old is a functioning human my uh 16 year old daughter is uh even higher functioning human she's wow. doing great um they all they both of them work for us, my oldest used to work for us, teach surf lessons for us and all of that, but he's off kind of chasing skateboarding and all of that. Um, and my two youngest now, they're, uh, you know, at that age of 10 and 12 where, I mean, we've always joked, we've risen, raised good orphans. If you just let them alone, they'll be just fine. And, and our we live on a, a pretty cool property where my parents live on the same property and my in-laws also. And so we got some big green space in between, but it's like my kids grew up and being able to run around and do, and we weren't like, don't go to the neighbor house. That's a weirdo or whatever. It's mom. It's my parents. So I mean, they, they are weird, but they're yeah. The yeah. They're the kind of weird <laughs> you're going to be later. Um, but uh, the not surfing as much, 
has given me um, more of a, a opportunity to fall in love with weird boards or different boards than I. And so al along my uh, trajectory in surfing, I was trying to keep up with, you know, whatever Kelly was writing and all of that stuff when obviously my ability that, that probably held me back. Um, I was joking with a friend not too long ago about, you know, if my family didn't move and I didn't, I was going to come to Hawaii anyway, um, but I probably wouldn't have stayed here because that's just, it's really hard to do is stay away from your family when you got a close family. So um, I probably would have ended up going down Josh Farbro's path with him um, because we kind of stopped surfing together when I started traveling a bunch. So it was like around 15, 16 years old. I, I didn't really surf with him too much after that. I've seen him a handful of times, you know, in the last 30 years or whatever. So, but him being like influential in the, the, you know, post high pro log kind of situation and he was riding weird fishes and single fins short boards and stuff like that back in like the late 80s um i probably would have gone down that road much earlier because it's way more fun and um when you figure out how to have speed on a shorter board like you feel like you're ripping if you are or not and um when i started like say that time of losing sponsors and going through that process i started riding uh mike wellman amazing shaper from Kauai. he made me a twin fin back in like 94 95 somewhere around there and um it like turned my surfing on and i didn't i just i felt like i could surf you know like where confident and like riding it in not the right conditions like when it's big whatever i'm just this is a board i'm riding it because it yeah. makes me feel like i can surf twin fins also screw you up if you live in hawaii because when the surf gets real you kind of got to go back towards your thruster or whatever and you don't have power steering anymore but um lance ebert makes uh an amazing board it's a mini simmons called the red stripe and it's kind of a performance mini simmons and um I, I ride that a, a good amount. And then uh, my buddy in Malibu, Ian Zamora, he makes some amazing longboards. And I have a, a log that I've had now for, I don't know, seven or eight years that that's my, my go-to. So I ride a lot of weird boards. But turning 45 and kind of like I don't have a proper shortboard, like I don't own a proper shortboard, I started thinking about that a little bit more. And I've, I've ridden boards that are similar to like neck beards and, and stuff like that for a long time. But um, I was pretty hyped to like, I'm going to get a happy. I'm going to get, it's going to be like a 6.3, which I haven't ridden. A sh a, and all my shortboards were like sub six for the last long time now. So I'm going to get, and I'm 6'1", 200 pounds. I'm, you know, not a tiny guy. So I'm going to get a 6.3. I'm going to get like a proper shortboard and um it kind of if it, it, it feels nostalgic like you step on it and as you stand up it's like oh this thing is way stiffer and has way more drive than that squiggly short thing that i've been riding mm -hmm. and um so i'm excited to kind of get i've only ridden it once um but I'm, I'm excited to actually kind of go down that road and see if if i can have a couple years of trying to like lay into turns instead of easing up on turns so i don't slide out did you surf it in good waves uh no oh, okay yeah uh we had a stretch of good swell with bad wind um this winter started pretty much as good as a winter can start 
and then we had this stretch for couple weeks around Christmas that was like the worst weather you can have it just sucked so um, the like if like watching the pipe pro this morning and stuff like that like the conditions have gotten good yeah. and there's a lot of opportunity but at the same time it's like um, my windows are way shorter these days yeah. and and uh, and what's interesting is I like it's so you want to be like all hardcore like no i surf every day or whatever the reality is is for me i'm not gonna surf better than i used to like i know that that's and i'm not gonna surf better on a longboard than i used to on a longboard i'm not gonna write better uh, a fish better none of it so um i'm happy to go surf when i get a chance to surf and if the waves suck or are the best ever i'm still not gonna have a better surf than i probably have but I'm totally fulfilled by every surf that I have because it's so stinking fun. And I haven't, like, I am definitely a surfer, not a waterman. I've, I've learned that more in the last few years with all my friends getting into like foiling or kiting or just all the different stuff that I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Like the sup phenomenon and all of that. I don't get it. Um, and I'm I'm happy just to go surf and it, yeah. You've found a mature headspace. <laughs> just accept your role, be yeah. like enjoy it and be grateful for yeah. it and spend some time at work, spend some time with the family and that's it. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. Well thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it was a fun talk. You're welcome. Like a flower on an eastern block, living from that's all the love that some of us know That's all the love sometimes All the death in my house Makes it easy to shop online Where the signal is strong And the tech flows like wine And I know you've traveled far But you're still where you are Look out The Aloha Exchange.com or on Insta at Aloha Exchange. Of course, we've linked to all of it on SurfSplendorPodcast.com where you can see the things that Jamie and I discussed. And you can also leave a comment for him in the comment section. You can also access our past 309 episodes of Surf Splendor, our 58 episodes of The Grit with Chaz Smith, and 150 episodes of Spit with Scott Bass. All of those archives are entirely available for free. So do a deep dive there. Rate and review this show in whatever app you listen in so that strangers can find it. You can also listen in Spotify now if that makes it easier for you. And I'm also slowly adding all of our episodes to YouTube. So if you use that platform, you can follow us there at Surf Splendor, which is the same handle on Instagram. And great stuff coming in future weeks. I have Akila Ipa talking about growing up with Ben Ipa as a father and then making that quiver for Kelly at Karamas last year and what that relationship was like, how it came to be, and um, what that's done for Akila's business. Then I've also got Joel Centeo talking about fostering super groms like Eli Hanneman and Baron Mamiya, the fallout at Hurley, and his recent transition into living off the grid and developing an organic farm on the North Shore of Oahu. Super interesting stuff from Joel. So all that in coming weeks, lots to look forward to. And then tomorrow I'll be with Chaz 
and special guests, Pat O'Connell and Devin Howard on The Grit. So look forward to that. And then I'll be here next week on Surf Splendor. Until then, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. Beautiful place, the moon.